This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to African News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for Pan-African news and world developments. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Coming up on African News Tonight... That was, we're going to present Carrie Fowler, the U.S. Special Envoy for Global Food Security, on forecasts that Africa food crisis is likely to worsen this year. Also, U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has started her 10-day Africa tour. At least 145 people are missing and fear dead in northwestern DRC, and security officials say they have killed 10 suspected Al-Shabaab militants in Kenya's northeast. These stories and more on African News Tonight. We start with our top story. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has started her 10-day Africa tour in Senegal, vowing that America is committed to be a partner to help the continent realize its massive economic potential. Joseph Siegel, director of research at Africa Center for Strategic Studies, discussed with VOA senior analyst Mohamed El Shanawi how the U.S. could expand trade and investment in Africa after three decades of Chinese heavy involvement there. Well, U.S. engagement in Africa on economic issues is not a new thing. People forget that, that the U.S. has had trade investment partnerships in Africa for many decades. Uh, moreover, you know, trade investment is not a zero-sum gain. So Africa can benefit from having multiple partners. Um, and I think, in fact, there's great interest on the continent in having greater United States uh, economic engagement. You know, with U.S. economic partnerships, there are expectations that the U.S. will uphold labor, health, environmental standards, which is important for Africa. There's also, you know, an expectation that uh, U.S. firms investing in Africa are going to meet a higher standard for transparency. And so this will make it easier to observe uh, the terms of contracts and then who benefits from these contracts. I think also, you know, expanded U.S. trade and investment is likely to see an expansion of private sector to private sector deals, which can expand, you know, the middle class and expand the private sector in Africa rather than government-to-government deals that we see with um, other external partners. Do you see the U.S. Secretary of Treasury tour in Africa as a proof that the U.S. is seriously replacing aid with development and trade? I see the fact that uh, Secretary Yellen is making this trip as a very significant demonstration that the U.S. wants to expand that relationship and build on the already existing substantial engagements on trade and investment and to broaden that. So I don't see this as a, a trade-off between trade versus aid. You know, I think both are, are needed. There are a lot of different contexts, a lot of different realities in Africa. And, you know, all of those engagements are important and need to be targeted in the right context. So what do you make of selecting these three countries in particular for the U.S. Treasury tour in Africa? And what are the U.S. objectives in each of them? Well, I think it's very notable, the three countries to which she'll be traveling. All our democracies 
they're all stable, they're committed to the rule of law. You know, those are very important qualities for private investors. And I think it demonstrates a recognition that partnerships are not transactional or extractive. You know, they're not going to benefit quick returns, but rather partnerships require building a solid foundation from which benefits accrue to both sides for years to come. And I think the travel to these three countries is signaling to the U.S. private sector that good governance matters and differentiating among African countries with stronger governance will be important to realize more reliable returns on their investment. That was Joseph Siegel, Director of Research at Africa Center for Strategic Studies, talking to VOA's Mohammed El-Shenawi. The Associated Press says at least 145 passengers are missing and feared dead after a boat full of goods and animals sank at night on a river in northwestern Democratic Republic of the Congo. Officials say about 55 people survived the disaster on the Lolanga River late Tuesday near the town of Basankusu. The president of a civil society group in the area told the AP that the motorized boat was overloaded. The news service says boats sinking are common in remote parts of the DRC, which lacks adequate roads for travel. U.S. officials say food insecurity in Africa will worsen this year because of climate change, conflict and market disruptions caused partly by Russia's war on Ukraine. The U.S. is helping African farmers adapt to climate change with drip irrigation and other water-saving measures to boost food production. Mohamed Yasuf reports from VOA's African News Center in Nairobi, Kenya. Speaking online to journalists Thursday from Malawi, Kerry Fowler, Special Envoy for Global Food Security, said the drivers of 2022 food insecurity in Africa are continuing. As much as I wish I could bring the, the hopeful message that the food crisis will be over this year, we have to recognize that the chief drivers of the food crisis are still with us. And it behooves us, therefore, to, to be looking uh, at solutions for all of those uh, or adaptive measures. Um, that's the situation as I see it today. Climate change, the global pandemic, conflicts and Russia's aggression in Ukraine have all been blamed for Africa's food insecurity and hunger. According to the 2022 Global Food Crisis Report, one in every five Africans goes to bed hungry and at least 140 million people on the continent face acute food insecurity. African farmers continue to practice traditional farming methods but the weather has been unpredictable in recent years, causing farmers to produce less food. Farmers complain about high seed and fertilizer prices and a failure to produce enough food for the population. Drought also has contributed to food insecurity in some parts of the continent, particularly the Horn of Africa, destroying livestock and crops and forcing people to rely on humanitarian assistance for food and medicine. In 2022, the U.S. government invested $11 billion in humanitarian assistance in 55 countries, including some from Africa. Dina Esposito, the U.S. Aid Global Food Crisis Coordinator, said her government is also supporting African farmers in producing their own food to overcome hunger and food insecurity. We've also um, got a global hunger initiative that is exactly focused 
on what are the right systems and approaches to advancing agriculture, taking that very localized context in mind, advancing drip irrigation and other forms of water saving measures where it makes sense, helping farmers adapt to a changing climate in, in other ways. Fundamentally, always looking at, we see our role really as helping these farmers shift from subsistence farming to more intensified and sustainable production. As Posita also said, the U.S. government is committed to partnering with leaders to advance global food insecurity and solve global hunger. Coach Oscar teaches land, resource management and agricultural technology at the University of Nairobi. He says no single African country can solve the food crisis alone and there is a need for a regional approach to deal with growing hunger on the continent. We need our nations to work together because of our connectedness, you know. Uh, we are one ecosystem at the end of the day. I'm telling you, our animals are in Uganda and some of them are going to Tanzania and all that others coming in. So we need to have regional strategies. Our African leaders need to have regional strategies to support our communities because it's a regional problem. Uh, and of course, we need to see investments, you know, significant investments into this production, especially in agriculture. You look at uh, uh, the national budgets of these African countries, how much goes into agriculture uh, because uh, we cannot have a peaceful nation, we cannot have a prosperous nation development without people producing food for themselves and enough food for themselves. Last October, African ministers of agriculture meeting in Ethiopia pledged to support sustainable food security, transform food systems and build a viable commercial and productive agricultural ecosystems on the continent. Mohamed Yusuf for VA News, Nairobi. Hello, I'm Carol Castiel, host of Press Conference USA. Rogue Russia and Maximum Xi, those are just two of the top ten global risks that chairman of the Eurasia Group Cliff Kupchin warns about in 2023. Besides Russia's illegal invasion of Ukraine and Beijing's authoritarian grip, Kupchin cautions about the growing gap between the haves and have-nots, which disproportionately affects women and girls. The top ten global risks in 2023, this Saturday and Sunday, on The Voice of America. Nigerian authorities say armed men attacked a village last night in north-central Benue state near the IDP camp, killing at least eight people and beheading some of them. Timothy Obiezu reports from Abuja, Nigeria. Benue state security advisor Paul Hemba told Lagos-based Channels TV the attack happened around 9 in the evening Thursday in the town of Makodi, just opposite the Abagana camp for internally displaced people. Hemba said the attackers decapitated some of the victims. He said eight people were injured, three of them with severe chest injuries. Benue State Police spokesman Yar Sewese spoke by phone Friday to VOA. At the moment, I can only confirm there was an attack last night. They are on it. Some persons died, some were injured. The commissioner himself is on his way to that place. Maybe in two hours' time, they will be done with that venue and they will speak with me. No group has claimed responsibility for the attack, but authorities suspect ethnic Fulani herders. Farmers and herders frequently clash over land and resources in northwest and central Nigeria, especially in Benue and neighboring Nasarawa state. Scores were killed in clashes last year between the communities, including children. The attack is the second in two years near a Bagana camp after one in 2021 that left seven people dead. 
the camp has been providing refuge to hundreds who fled a 2018 attack blamed on herders that left 73 people dead. Nigerian authorities are struggling to contain a wave of violence ahead of February 25th elections. Timothy Obiezu for VOA News, Abuja, Nigeria. You're listening to African News Tonight on The Voice of America. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Please note, we have moved our programs from voanews.com to voaafrica.com. There, you'll find all your favorite VOA radio and TV programs and a whole lot more. Find us on voaafrica.com. The Zimbabwe Electoral Commission announced today that elections will be held between July and August. As Columbus Mavunga reports from Harare, the main opposition citizens' coalition for change says the country is not ready as the commission still has a lot of issues to sort out first. Speaking to reporters Priscilla Chigumba of the Zimbabwe Electoral Commission said her organization would soon make the report public. So in terms of timelines, the next election period is likely to be between 26 July and 24 August. So that means we ought to be able to gazette the final delimitation report sometime end of January or perhaps mid-February in order to meet that six-month deadline. The delimitation report fixes new boundaries of election constituencies. The Electoral Commission is embroiled in a debate with the main opposition and other rights groups which accuse it of sending an illegal delimitation report to President Emerson Munangagwa. In an interview, Fazai Mahere, spokeswoman for the opposition Citizens Coalition for Change, said the organization is ready for the polls but wants the Zimbabwe Electoral Commission or ZEC to do more. It's an election that we've been preparing for uh, from the date of our inception. Uh, we have been mobilizing the grassroots and the masses in every single province in Zimbabwe and we are energizing our base and making sure that we uh, leave no stone unturned to ensure that we vote big and win big and ensure that uh, we install a citizen's government to create the new Great Zimbabwe that we can all be proud of, a new Great Zimbabwe led by President Nelson Chamisa. Uh, we continue to hold ZEC to account to ensure that it carries out its constitutional mandate, ensure that the voters' role is available, ensure that it acts in an independent, impartial and professional manner. Earlier this month, the opposition complained when its members were arrested while holding a meeting in Ararim. They are in prison awaiting a bail ruling. The ruling ZANU-PF could not be reached for comment today on whether it was prepared for an election in the ZEC timeline. Past elections have been marred by reports of intimidation, violence and rigging. Zimbabwe last held a general election on July 30th, 2018, which turned violent after the army was dispatched to quell protests over the slow release of results. Columbus Mavungam for Viewing News, Harare, Zimbabwe. Security officials say they have killed 10 suspected Al-Shabaab militants in Kenya's northeast just a week after militants there killed four engineers near a regional development project. Ahmed Hussein reports from Wajir County, Kenya. 
Security officials say the operation targeted an al-Shabaab hideout in Kenya's Garissa County, the scene of many al-Shabaab attacks in the past. Thomas Beth is the deputy sub-county commissioner. The operation took place the wee hours of Wednesday morning. Our multi-agency security team managed to neutralize 10 militants in, uh, in the Bon uh, Galmagala division of Bura East sub-county. Beth told the Reuters news agency that agents recovered rocket-propelled grenades and improvised explosive devices during the operation. He tells VOA that security agencies have heightened the operation in Garissa and say they will flush out the Al-Shabaab elements from the area. The operation is, was an intelligence-led operation and uh, we are saying the government will sustain the operation to get, to ensure we rid the area of uh, these Al-Shabaab elements who have uh, become a menace. The incident comes barely a week after the Islamist group killed four engineers at a Chinese construction site for the Lapset transportation project. Beth urged the public to give information to authorities and report anything suspicious. As a government, we continue asking the people to share any crucial information. Let them have confidence in government that the government is going to protect them under whatever means. Somalia-based Al-Shabaab has been active in Kenya since 2011 when Kenya first contributed troops to the African Union-led peacekeeping mission in Somalia. The Islamist militant group killed nearly 150 people at Garissa University College in 2015. I'm for VOA News, Wajia, Kenya. The UN says South Sudan and several other countries are in arrears and will lose their voting rights in the 193-member General Assembly. Other members include Equatorial Guinea, Lebanon, Venezuela and Dominica. According to the Associated Press, South Sudan owes a minimum payment of $196,130 and Equatorial Guinea owes $619,103. Gabon, which owes $61,686 is serving a two-year term on the Security Council and will not be affected. UN rules state that members whose debt is equal to or more than their contributions for the preceding two years lose their voting rights. But the General Assembly has the authority to restore voting rights if it decides the failure to pay is beyond the control of the member. The Associated Press says that three African countries that fall into this category are Comoros, Sao Tamo and Principe, and Somalia. Hello, I'm Carol Castiel, host of Encounter. A former Mexican vice minister of trade joins the vice president of the Council of the Americas and America Society to analyze the outcome of the annual Three Amigos Summit, where the leaders of Canada, Mexico, and the United States met to discuss thorny issues of trade, immigration, and other key issues affecting their region. The promise and perils facing the Western Hemisphere, next, this Saturday and Sunday, on The Voice of America. Operation Dudula, a group formed to fight the presence of undocumented foreign nationals in South Africa, says it has launched a campaign to ensure that all local children are placed in schools before children of immigrants. Since the schools opened this year, some members of Operation Dudula have visited schools and education offices discouraging the registration of foreign children. Immigrant organizations have described this as inhumane and illegal and have urged the government to intervene. To Sokumalo reports from Johannesburg. Sipiwe Shabangu, chairman for Operation Dudula's Johannesburg district, 
told VOA the campaign is based on the realization that many South African children are still struggling to get places in schools while children of immigrants are learning. South African children must be prioritized. We will not tolerate a situation where we see a South African child being left out while foreign nationals are inside enjoying the privilege. The campaign has now, however, drawn criticism from some parents and organizations representing immigrants. Victress Matutu, a Zimbabwean parent living in South Africa, told VOA that she and other parents are very worried. Uh, every parent will be scared if they, you know what the Tutula guys do when they get to children. You can even imagine how the children will be traumatized uh, to be turned away from school by a group of people. So it's, it's also traumatizing for the kids, it's traumatizing for the parents. It's something that we are expecting the government to deal with as soon as possible. Efforts to get comment on what the Department of Basic Education is doing to make sure foreign learners' education is not disrupted when not successful. However, this is what Terence Kala, Assistant Director at the Department of Basic Education, recently told the media on this issue. The important fact to put out there is that the department welcomes all learners, whether they have documentation or not. There are thousands of migrant learners in South African schools. Their parents have also been victims of xenophobic violence that often erupts in South Africa. However, Operation Tudula says its campaign is focused on fairness, not xenophobia. Tusokumalo for VOA News, Johannesburg. And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Dimi Mwakalielie, and our engineer, Helen Kurdian, thanks for choosing The Voice of America. Next, an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. On December 9th, just one day before the Global Observance of Human Rights Day, the United Nations passed a binding resolution that established a carve-out across UN sanctions regimes to facilitate the delivery of humanitarian assistance in areas under the control of designated individuals and entities or with substantial populations of individuals affiliated with designated groups. The resolution was co-drafted by the United States and Ireland, with 53 countries joining as co-sponsors. This is a win for people in need everywhere, humanitarian aid workers trying to reach them as well, said U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations, Linda Thomas-Greenfield. Sanctions are an important tool in our arsenal. They help us constrain bad actors without resorting to violence, to stop terrorists and human rights abusers. At the same time, we hear from the humanitarian community that some U.N. sanctions are having second-order impacts. They unintentionally make aid more difficult to deliver. To mitigate such unintended effects, the United States has supported humanitarian exemptions within individual UN sanctions regimes. The humanitarian community applauded these efforts as incredibly helpful, but continued to point out the need to create a single standard carve-out of humanitarian assistance from UN sanctions regimes. 
Today, we delivered on that request, said Ambassador Thomas Greenfield. In unambiguous language, we have exempted critical humanitarian activities from UN sanctions, and in doing so, we have also made our existing UN sanctions more effective and better targeted toward bad actors. Speed saves lives. Humanitarians need to act fast to get medicines to a community in need, to get a roof over the heads of freezing people, and to get food to starving children. Now we have removed significant impediments. When the funds are there and the humanitarian actors are ready, they can spring into action. They can and will save more lives all around the globe, and that is something that we all can be proud of. This resolution includes safeguards to protect against abuse and evasion by sanctioned persons and entities, including by establishing reporting requirements to ensure detection and mitigation of possible aid diversion, said Secretary of State Antony Blinken in a written statement. By providing exceptions for humanitarian activities across UN sanctions regimes, the resolution provides much-needed clarity to the international community, humanitarian assistance providers, and critical commercial service providers, which will help facilitate the delivery of aid and goods that are critical to saving lives around the world. That was an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. 